Stand with me for the reading of God's word. And we are still in our series on doors. As you can see with the graphic on the screen. And I'm going to be coming from Matthew 16. I just realized as I told them to stand that I did not turn in my scripture this morning. So get your smart device out or your Bible because I know you, half of y'all didn't bring your Bible, right? Get your phone out. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. We're going to start there. But we're still in our series on doors. I'll probably close this out next week. Um, but I, I, um, I wanted to get these next couple of uh, sermons in when talking about the keys to the kingdom of God. We've been talking about doors. And when it comes to doors, doors represent opportunities. Amen. We've been talking about this for about seven weeks now. And so when God puts a door in front of you, what it is, is that it's an opportunity. Amen. Uh, God creates opportunities, but he does not seize them. It'll be up to you whether you seize the opportunity that God puts in front of you, whether you seize the door that God puts in front of you. So I gave you the first six keys just a couple of weeks ago. I believe I'm going to give you five or six more today. And then I have about five or six more next week. And these are keys to God's kingdom that unlock what is finished in heaven. Amen. So stick with me for just a couple of minutes. We're going to have some fun today. Amen. If you're ready for the word, shout amen. amen. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, a.k.a. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This ain't something that you heard on Facebook, Peter. This ain't something that you heard on Instagram, Peter. Come on, this ain't something that you heard around the campfire. No, this is something that you heard from heaven that my father spoke unto you. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates, there's some, some doors that aren't always heavenly, but the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now here we go. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, bless the reading of your word. Lord, we give you glory. We give you praise. Father, we thank you for what has taken place in the house so far. Lord, anoint me to preach this word today. Illuminate my mind, O oh God, and have me speak from the oracles of God. Let me tell the people of these keys that will unlock what you have freely given unto them in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, we've talked about these keys and that keys unlock things, right? And so if God puts a door in front of you, it is an opportunity. But some doors have keys and some doors are locked. It's going to take a key to get through that door. And we talked about how some doors, uh, some things in the physical, that how sometimes they can be a reflection of what is going on in the spiritual. Amen. And, and we have talked about all kinds of doors. And the week before last, we talked about how some doors will require keys in the kingdom of God. Remember, I talked about uh, some things we don't have to pray about, but that God has given us keys to unlock what is finished in heaven and pull it into the earth. I want to recap just for a couple of seconds here on those first couple of keys that I shared and talked about. The key number one was obedience. Amen. Y'all remember us talking about obedience? Can we get the lights turned up a little more out there? I don't know if they are all the way up, but y'all look dark. What is going on in here? Come on, let the light come. Come on, somebody. 
But obedience is a key, and obedience is a master key, meaning that obedience is tied to all of this stuff that I've been preaching over the last couple of weeks and what I'm going to continue to preach. If you don't walk in obedience, that's the master key, meaning that, what does a master key do? A master key unlocks multiple doors, amen. So you're going to need to walk in obedience uh, to be able to unlock some of these things. We talked about the kingdom key of love and how Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my command. So one of the keys that unlocks obedience is love, because if you actually love God, you won't do things that would hurt him. Amen. Come on, somebody. I love my spouse. So I attempt and do my best not to do things that hurt her. Amen. And so God in your relationship with God, which is a reflection in the covenant of marriage, that's, the, that's why the enemy attacks marriages so much, because it's the one thing in the earth that reflects our relationship with him. And, and so the enemy hates that. But love unlocks obedience. Then we talked about the tithe and the offering. You understand? You don't have to pray about your finances. Come on, somebody. All you got to do is get seed in the ground. You don't have to pray about breakthrough for you with your finances. All you got to do is tithe, and then you give offerings. Our church just actually gave a significant offering because we're believing God for a building and for a piece of land. And so we were at a conference just a couple of weeks ago and we planted a significant seed and put seed in the ground. I'm a firm believer of what it is that I'm actually preaching. Come on, somebody. How many of you like preachers that actually do what they talk about? Amen. Come on, somebody. So we put a seed in the ground because we are believing God for harvest. Amen. And so we talked about the kingdom key of trust. If God can trust you with the little things, he can give you the bigger things. The problem is we want to do big and great things with the kingdom and for the kingdom of God, but God can't trust us on our cell phone. Oh, come on, somebody. We, we want to do great and big things for the kingdom of God, and, and we want to do great and big things financially, but we won't trust God with our finances. Come on. We, we want to we preach and we want to do this and we want to do that, but we can't clean up the bathroom. We can't vacuum a floor. We can't be trusted with the little things, but we want God to give us the big things. Ah, come on. Then I talked about maturity and how that we are under stewards and guardians, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, until the appointed time. And so maturity actually unlocks an inheritance. How many of you know that you have an inheritance in God? God has an inheritance for you. God has things for you. Amen. And maturity is what unlocks it. I'm not going to preach the whole message again, but perseverance. We talked about how perseverance unlocks character and what character unlocks is revelation. Amen. And then we talked about binding and loosing and that that's actually a command from Jesus that whatever you hold on to down here, he's going to hold on to up there. Come on, somebody. It ain't just always about binding the devil. Come on. We can do those things. We need to do those things. We need to cast out devils. We need to do all those things. But in the context of of what Jesus is speaking there, he is telling us that we need to bind and loose on the earth, that with these keys that we have, we have the ability to unlock what is finished in heaven and bring it down into the earth. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about doors and opportunities for weeks now. And the fact of the matter is, though, if you don't use these keys, you ain't walking through no door. <laughs> You're not going anywhere if you don't operate with some of these kingdom keys that I'm trying to give you. It's all good to get excited about doors and opportunities and new seasons and this and that. But if you most of these doors and these opportunities, they're locked. But if you pull out your kingdom key, you can unlock the door that God has set in front of you so that you can accomplish what it is that he has called you to accomplish. Amen. Amen. So the next key I want to give you this morning is this favor and righteousness. Touch a neighbor and tell them favor, favor. and righteousness. We don't have time to read it all, but if you want to learn about favor and what that is from a biblical 
uh, contextual story, you need to look at the life of Joseph, which starts in Genesis 37 and beyond. And I want to say this, not everybody can handle a favored life, but walking in the favor of the Lord will unlock favor with men. But favor comes with a price. When you walk in favor, I came with a warning for people. People will not always like you when you walk in the favor of God. Come on, somebody. Notice I said favor and righteousness because one unlocks the other and there are levels to this. Come on, slap your neighbor and tell them there's levels to this. And this ain't a meek meal song. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all sinners know what I'm talking about. I'm just kidding. But favor and righteousness. Favor is multifaceted. Favor is multidimensional. Come on. Because you're automatically favored because Christ made you righteous. You are automatically given a level of favor because Christ uh, gave you that righteousness. Let me give you a definition of favor real quick. It is this. Favor is preferential treatment or advantages. Favor equals to preferential treatment and advantages. And favor is multifaceted and multidimensional. There are levels. Amen. Favor in a believer's life is automatic and God-given on the surface level because God gives it to every believer. Meaning simply because you are a child of God in the earth that you have advantages, that you have preferential treatment that will come to you from heaven. Come on. My kids have advantages with me. Why? Because they're my favorite ones. Come on, somebody. Because they are mine, they get special treatment. I love y'all kids and all, but they ain't my kids. Come on, somebody. My kids get preferential treatment from me because they're mine. Come on. They can mess up, but they're mine. They can make mistakes, but they're mine. Are y'all catching what I'm telling you this morning? They can mess up. They can blow it, but they're mine. Do you understand that that is how God looks at you as well? Because you're a child of God. You are his child when you say yes to him and you give him your life and you get born again by the spirit of God. You become one of God's kids. So because you have said yes to Jesus, come on, because your sin is under the blood. Come on, somebody. Because you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, you have preferential treatment, you have advantages because you have confessed with your mouth and because you have believed in your heart, because you have repented and renewed in your mind, because you have put your faith in the trust in the cross of Calvary, because you believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, because you have been predestined, because you have been called, because you have been justified, because you have been glorified, because you have been adopted and grafted in to the family of God and are now a child of God, you have advantages in the earth. Did y'all hear what I just said? You have advantages in the earth. You, you have the ability to walk in preferential treatment because of what God has done in your life and because you have said yes to him. Amen. So God has given you some advantages in the earth because you are his child. You're getting certain things. You get certain things that not everybody has access to. Look over at your neighbor and tell them I'm favored. Come on. Look over at your other neighbor, the one that you don't like, and tell them I'm special. Come on. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I need to give you a little warning about favor. Let me give you a little warning about favor. You want to walk in the favor of God, you better toughen up buttercup. Because the favor of God brings about some haters. Ah, now you're getting awake with me. Come on, Caleb, let's go on a journey. 
All, also, he made, this is verse 37 and 4, also he made him a tunic of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all their brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably about him. That's a line about Joseph. I mentioned it earlier, but favor on a certain level comes just because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Didn't you get born again into the family of God? Amen. So you became a child of God. But can I say this? Nowhere in Joseph's story does it say that they hated him until he put on that coat that his daddy made. Come on. They didn't hate him until he started walking in the favor of God. Come on. That coat represented something to his brothers. That coat represented something to everybody around him. That coat represented that he had the favor of God on his life. That coat represented that he had preferential treatment, that he had advantages in the household. Amen. Come on. A lot of people will be good with you talking about favor as long as you don't put it on. People are good with you talking about the favor of God and preferential treatment and advantages about being a Christian and being a child of God. But let you start walking in the favor of God. Come on. Let you pull up in that new car. Come on, somebody. Let you put on them new sneakers. Come on, somebody. And then you'll have people talking. You notice that this was his brother's. That, that began to hate on him. These are the same brothers that the 12 tribes of Israel are named after. So guess what? You want to know what that means? The hating started in the church. Yeah. Oh, the hating started in the church house. That ain't no good, is it? That's not the way that it's supposed to be. We ought to be celebrating one another, but instead of celebrating one another, we want to hate on one another. Let somebody get blessed, and then it just, it just it drives me crazy that when somebody gets blessed, everybody wants to start hating. But when somebody gets blessed, it's not a time to start hating. It's a time to start celebrating. Come on, somebody. What would it look like in this church if we began to celebrate what it was that God was doing in everybody else's life? I'll tell you what would happen. We would begin to catch a blessing. Because the Bible says that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So many of us are putting and bringing a curse on our own life and we don't even realize it because we're putting our lips on people who God has sanctioned to walk in the blessing of God that they're walking in. Ah. Mm. Jesus. I'm going to come out this jacket today. Ah. Come on, as long as you don't slip on that coat. As, as long as you don't put on that jacket, come on. A lot of people are good with you talking about the favor of God and being chosen and destiny and purpose and all of those things. Uh, but as long as you don't put that coat on, amen. Come on. You want to know the good news about a hater, though? You don't ever have to worry about them passing you up because as long as they keep their mouth on you, they won't be going anywhere. Come on, as long as they keep that attitude of I can't celebrate nobody. Why? Because God made that decree. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Come on, and you've been adopted and grafted into Abraham's lineage. Amen. Come on, can I just say this? The worst thing that you can do when you find somebody blessed is start putting your lips on them. That's the worst thing that you can do is try to curse those who God is blessing. Amen. The best thing you can do when you find somebody walking in the favor and the blessing of God is to go put an offering in their pocket. Come on, somebody. Just go hand them a $20 bill. Take your earring out. Throw it in the bucket. Do whatever you need to do. But the blessing of God that is on people's life can get on you when you bless other people. Amen. 
So favor is preferential treatment. We all have it as sons and daughters, but there's levels to this. Amen. Favor brings haters. And here's my last point that I want to give you is this. Some of it you're just born with, but there is a higher level of favor that is given to you when God looks down on your life and smiles because you're living right. Mm. Come on, when God looks down on your life and smiles and he pours out more, can I just say this, that favor is a key, but righteousness is the key that unlocks great levels of favor. Come on. Come on. I thought we were saved by grace, not uh, lest any man should boast, right? We, we can't work to gain the approval of God. We can't work to gain more love from God. You're as loved from God as you're ever going to be. But favor is another ball game. Favor is another ball game. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about favor. Well, pastor, I need a scripture for that. Don't worry. You know, I got you. Genesis chapter six, verses eight through 10. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. This on the account of Noah and his family. Why? Because Noah, verse nine, was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So because Noah was a preacher and a man of righteousness, God looked down on his life and smiled and saved him, and not only him, but the generation after him. Oh, you want another scripture? Hold on. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And in so find favor and high esteem with both God and man. Your behavior and your walk determines what levels of favor that you have with God. I don't know if you caught that or not, but walking in righteousness, living rightly, doing the right thing. Come on, the CMV version. Y'all hear me say it all of the time. Don't get it twisted, right? Those who practice righteousness are righteous. Amen. The scriptures make it clear. Yes, you have a righteousness that has been imputed to you from the cross and believing in the blood and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But how many of you know there are levels to this thing? Come on. When you begin to walk right before God, when you begin to walk righteously before God. Not that you're perfect, but you wake up in the morning saying, I want to serve God. I want to please God. I'm not worried about pleasing man, but I want to please God. I want to live righteously in my generation. I want to wake up and do the right thing in my generation. I want to wake up and do the right thing in my family. When you begin to walk righteously before God, he looks down on your life and he smiles. And if God ever gets to looking on your life and smiling, you're going to gain favor in the earth. Is there anybody that wants some favor? Is there, is there anybody that wants some preferential treatment? Is there anybody that says, God, I want to wake up and do the right thing. God, I want to wake up and serve you. God, I want to honor you with everything that I say and everything that I do and not just let the, 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 lip, the words from my lips bless you, but let the meditations of my heart please you, oh God. That God, I'm ready for a level of favor. That God, I'm ready for it to break out in my life. Come on, that God, I'm ready for everything that you have put aside for me, that everything that is in heaven that is finished, that I can pull out my kingdom key and I can pull it into the earth. If that's you, I wish you'd make a little noise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So favor... And righteousness. Oh, Lord, I got to hurry. 
Number two, sowing and reaping. Y'all got key number one, right? Favor and righteousness. Here is number two, sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter six. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap a harvest if we do not lose hope. When we talk about sowing and reaping as a kingdom key, this is a key that God wants to give us so that we can function in his kingdom properly and so that we can produce a harvest and a crop for his glory. Amen. And our good and his glory. When we talk about sowing and reaping, you need to understand something about sowing and reaping. And it's one thing. It's seed. You need to understand seed. In order to understand seed, you need to know what type of seed there are because the seed that you sow is the harvest that you will reap, period. The seed that you sow is the harvest that you will reap. God makes a declaration in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11 that seed will always produce after its own kind. A seed will always produce after its own kind. So we are citizens of a kingdom. We're not a part of a democracy anymore. You might be in the physical realm, a part of a democracy, but in the spiritual realm, you're not a part of a democracy. Things ain't up for a vote. Things ain't up for a debate. None of that. What the king says and how he says it and what he does and how he does it is how it is. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so in a kingdom, when a king makes a decree, he can't go back on his decree. So God said in Genesis chapter one, the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. So when he says it in Genesis chapter one, that means for the rest of time, it is going to happen. So he said that a seed will only produce after his, uh, its own kind. That's why an apple seed will never produce oranges. C- come on. That's why a human who carries the seed of a human will never produce monkeys. Isn't it crazy how they said we came from monkeys but the monkeys aren't producing humans and the humans aren't producing monkeys anymore. What happened? This stuff ain't difficult, I know. All them degrees they got and they still couldn't figure that one out. It's crazy, I know. This is why our children at schools can't really identify as a cat. (laughs) I'm gonna fix something today. This is why we can't identify as this and identify as that. You are what you are, and you are what God created you to be. We just read it in Genesis chapter 1 and 11 too. It says the seed of a thing is on the inside of a thing. Come on, the seed of a thing is on the inside of a thing. Some of y'all need to hear me today. The potential of everything that you will ever become is right on the inside of you. The potential of everything that you can and should and will become is already on the inside of you. Come on, y'all better talk back to me. The business is already in you. The ministry is already in you. Come on, the idea is already in you. The provision is already in you. The good husband is already in you. The good wife is already in you. Come on, the submissive wife is already in you. The loving husband, it's already in you. The good father, it's already in you. The caring mother, 
other, it's already in you. Freedom from addiction, it's already in you. Come on, somebody. The power of God is already in you. Everything that you need has already been placed on the inside of you. God put it there the day that he shaped you and formed you in your mother's womb. The potential of anything is on the inside of a thing. Come on, I'm trying to tell somebody today that everything that you need is already on the inside of you. Everything that you need to accomplish for the kingdom of God, it's already on, on the inside of you. We just have to plant this seed. Come on, let the fivefold ministry water it and let God bring forth the increase and watch the miraculous break out in our cities and our state and in our country. Come on. Revival will break out in America whenever the people of God step up and, and get a hold of this seed, get a hold of this thing that's already on the inside of them. When they start walking in destiny and purpose and start walking out the Bible and the word of God and everything that he's called us to and we preach uncompromised truth and we love people and we forgive people and we are actually believers and Christians the world will shift and change around us so when we talk about C2 there are three types of seed there is seed of your resources that's your finances I'm not getting into that again y'all all gonna leave the church we won't even do it to you we won't talk about your money no more everybody's honey gets tight we talk about money in church but Seed of your resources, your finances. Then there is the seed of your words, and then there is the seed of your actions. Seed of resources, we've already talked about that. That's your finances. I'll say this. I'm going to say this about it, and I'll say this uh, last thing I'm going to say. You don't have to pray about your finances. You, you don't have to pray about it. Just tithe and put seed in the ground. You don't have to pray about it. It's a promise that God has given you. You don't have to pray about it. Then there's the seeds of your words. Do you understand that famous parable that Jesus talks about, the sower and the seed? It's all about words. It's all about words, the parable of the sower and the seed, the word of the kingdom of God. There is the power of life and death in your tongue. The seed of your words has power. The seed of your words will produce a harvest. I think it's about time we start paying attention to what it is that we're saying. Because you have the power with this key to unlock life or you have the power to unlock death. Come on. Seeds of our actions. That's the initial text, right? God will not be mocked. What you sow, you shall reap. Sow discord in your life, guess what you're going to reap? Discord. Sow division in your life, guess what you're going to reap? Division. Sow hate in your life, guess what you're going to get? Hate. When you sow love in your life and kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit, guess what? You will produce that harvest of good things in your life. Come on. You want to sow your wild oats? Guess what? You're going to get wild living. You're going to get wild results. People trip me out, y'all. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know how I got pregnant. Still only happens one way. Come on, somebody. How, how, how do, they live crazy, and then they wonder why crazy stuff happens to them. You hanging out at the bar 24-7 and can't figure out why you keep getting in fights. You, you hanging out looking for love in all the wrong places at the bar, but can't figure out why you can't find a wife. Come on, why you can't find a good husband that loves you and won't cheat on you and talk crazy to you and lie and beat you up and smack you up and do all those things. You are you're putting seeds in the ground of craziness, but you're expecting a harvest of goodness. The earth don't work like that. God don't work like that. 
The kingdom don't work like that. You've got to put good seed in the ground to get a good harvest. Amen? Y'all okay? All right. Here we go. Next key I want to give you is faith. Hebrews 1.11 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders gained a good testimony. Skip to verse 8. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who, who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is a kingdom key that unlocks what is finished in heaven. It's also one of those master keys like obedience because everything I'm mentioning to you, it is going to require faith. Everything I've mentioned to you so far, it's going to require faith. It's going to require faith to walk in obedience to God. It's going to require faith to love God. It's going to require faith to believe God about your finances. It's going to require faith to trust God and for him to be able to trust you. Come on. It's going to require faith to sow and to reap. It is going to require faith faith with all of this stuff. We are a people of faith, yet I find that the church is the faithless thing that creates so many problems. It's impossible to please God without it. You can't exercise it for things that you see. You can only exercise faith for things that you cannot see. Are y'all getting a hold of this? You can't exercise faith for things that you're seeing. But you can exercise faith. You can only exercise faith with the things that you can't see. This is why it takes faith to believe in God. Because he is an invisible God right now. But there's a day that's coming that he shall return. Come on, somebody. And he's coming back riding on a white horse like that old song we used to sing, Mama. Come on. He's riding a white horse all across this land. Mama, help me. Come on, Mama used to sing that every Sunday as a special. <laughs> My wife's going to get on to me for that later because I sung in church. But she says, stick to preaching. I done forgot where I was at. Help me, Lord. Make a joyful noise. Amen, brother. Come on. It takes faith to please God. You can't have faith for things that you're seeing. But you got to have faith for the things that you can't see. This is why it takes faith to believe in God. But you do know that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Come on, somebody. Jesus came so that you would have an example to know exactly how the Father is. Because Jesus only said what the Father said, and he only did what the Father showed him to do. We have the example of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He is the Word. He's a reflection of the Father. Amen. So we actually do have a visible image of the invisible God. But it takes faith to believe in God. It takes faith to believe this word. It takes faith to walk in these kingdom keys. Your faith is vital in the kingdom. Do you understand this, that your faith actually unlocks your salvation? Your faith actually unlocks your salvation. No faith, no salvation. For you've been saved by grace through faith. Translation, you don't get to grace without your faith. Come on, you're not saved by grace alone. You don't even get there if you don't have faith in God. You got to mix and mingle your faith 
with the grace of God, then grace is available to you. You don't even get to grace if you don't have by grace through your faith. I don't understand how people miss that in the text. No faith, no grace. You have a little something to do with it. Uh, oh, nobody wants to hear that. We, we, we don't want to hear that, that, that we have a little something to do. Are you God would require a little something of me after he's went to the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection, that, that he went through the most excruciating thing that anybody could ever go through, that he chose to come in a time where the, 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 the way that they were murdering and killing people was one of the most horrific and one of the most horrible ways that you could. That's the way that he came and chose to come, that's the time frame that he came to choose and to die for you and I and for the sins of the world. Yeah, we don't want to do nothing. You got a little something to do. And it's so, it's so special because it's so easy. It just takes a requirement of saying, God, I, I, I believe you. God, I, I simply, I just believe you. I believe that Bible. I believe your word. I believe that Jesus was a real man. Come on, somebody. That he was born of a virgin and, and that he was put on a cross, that his blood was shed. Come on, somebody. And that he rose on the third day. Come on, I'm preaching the simple gospel in this place. It ain't complicated. It ain't easy. If you, it is easy. It ain't hard. If you would just put your faith and your trust in the fact that the death and burial and resurrection of Christ is true, the Bible says you shall be saved. Put your faith and your trust in him and you can get to a place of grace. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. I got a timer on myself today. I'm doing good. Bless the Lord. Come on, no faith, no miracles. Come on, no faith, no breakthroughs. No faith, no overcoming. No faith, no supernatural. No faith, no salvation. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to tell you that the kingdom key of faith is important. That faith is the currency of heaven. If you need heaven to invade your situation, you're going to have to pull out your spiritual billfold and pay the bill. The bill and the currency is faith. Come on, look over at your neighbor and tell them I got some faith. Come on, look over at your other neighbor and tell them get some faith. Let your faith rise up in this place. Come on, somebody. Come on, faith for miracles, faith for breakthrough, faith for healing, faith for restored relationships, faith for your lost children. Come on, faith for your finances to get straightened out, faith that God speaks to you, faith that God is there for you and he's there for me. I'm just going to keep saying it till you get it. Faith for miracles, faith for breakthrough, faith for restored relationships, faith for your lost kids, faith for your lost children, faith, 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 faith for your lost spouse, faith for your financial breakthrough, faith. Come on, I wish faith would rise up in the room. Come on, I wish you would put that thing in front of you that you're believing God for and say, God, I've got some faith. Faith is rising up in this room. Faith is rising up in my spirit. I wonder, is there anybody that says, I've got some faith this morning? <laughs> Sit down, I gotta go. Jesus. Oh, here we go. Uh, the next key is this, the blood. Come on, touch your neighbor and tell them the blood. 
Come on, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11 says this, and here's where I might lose my mind. But Christ came as a high priest to the good things, to come with the greater and the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Come on, touch your neighbor and tell him my salvation is eternal. Come on. It will last forever. Now watch this. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling of the unclean sanctified and purified the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead living? Excuse me for a moment while I get a little old school and talk about the blood. Come on, somebody. Yeah, Caleb, come follow me. Because when I get to talking about the blood, I just can't help myself. I know it's a little bit old school. Come on, I know it's bloody. I know it's messy. I know it don't grow your church. Come on, somebody. It ain't good for your church growth plan and put the Holy Ghost on the shelf and all those things that some people like to do. I know people don't like to talk about it anymore, but it still takes the blood of Jesus Christ. This ain't any blood of no bull or any goat. This is the blood and the DNA of God himself. Come on, I know it's messy. Come on, I know it ain't popular anymore. I know it's nasty, but guess what? So is your sin. Y'all better talk to me. The only right, it's only right that the intensity of your salvation match the sin. Come on, don't get me talking about the blood. Come on, it's the blood that saved me. Come on, it's the blood that healed me. It's the blood that set me free. It's the blood that's protected me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. What can make you whole again? Nothing but the blood. Come on, is there any blood born again, Holy Ghost filled Christians in this place that say I want the blood? Wash me in the blood. Come on, when it comes to the blood, that's my story. When it comes to the blood, that's your story. Because the Bible says that without the blood, there is no remission of sin. So if Jesus didn't come and shed his blood, guess what? Your sin ain't paid for. And if your sin isn't paid for, you're in trouble, Jack. I'm in trouble because it's the blood of Jesus. And watch this. The blood is so good and the blood is so strong that it actually has the ability to cleanse your conscience of dead works. Oh, y'all missed it. Ten of you got it. It has the ability to clean your conscience of dead works. Watch this. The blood in bulls and goats was a reminder of how sinful they was. It was a reminder over and over again that I've got to kill and I've got to slay this animal so that I can have the remission of sins. Oh, I don't have time to break it all down right now, but this stuff started in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, God had to kill a lamb and create clothes for them. So blood was shed in Genesis chapter one. So God sets up the Old Testament. Can I teach a little? God sets up the Old Testament uh, with the sacrificial system to remind them just like it was a reminder 
reminder to him that every time uh, uh, people in the earth sin, that blood was shed for the remission of that sin. And it was a picture of what was to come in the future. And so what happens is God says, the blood of bulls and goats ain't going to clean their conscience. The blood of bulls and goats won't be strong enough. It simply reminds them of how jacked up and messed up they are. But there is coming yet a day when I'm going to wrap myself in flesh and bone and I am going to leave heaven and I'm going into the earth and I will get on a cross and I will shed my own blood and by my stripes they will be healed and by my blood they will be sanctified and by my blood they will be made whole. I feel like preaching. Come on. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses your conscience of dead works. Because 100% of the time, this is such good news, 100% of the time that you ask God for forgiveness because you've made a mistake, the blood covers you. Ah, Come on, the blood was for eternal redemption, meaning that the blood has the power to go back. Y'all ain't saying nothing. The blood has the power to go forth. Come on, somebody. The blood has power in the present. Come on, the blood. He is the great I am. When he said I am what I am, he was telling him that I'm enough in your past, I'm enough in your present, and I'm going to be enough in your future. And it is my blood that was shed on Calvary Hill that's strong enough and good enough to clean your conscience from dead works. Oh, man. Oh, that's some good news. Ah, oh, that's some good news. That's some good news. Come on, the blood is the DNA of God himself. The blood of the son, the Bible, no one went into Mary, but she got pregnant by the Holy Ghost. Born of a virgin, lived a spotless and a sinful, sinless, sinless life. Sinless Life. He became the propitiation for our sins. It's the DNA and the blood of Jesus that is the blood of God himself. Powerful and strong enough to break any curse. Powerful and strong enough to clean you up. People have got to stop. And it's, this falls on us. Why do people feel like they got to get cleaned up before they come to the church? That ain't how this works. You got to come to Jesus and then he cleans you up. We got to stop this where people feel this because of the church has been so judgmental that people feel like they can't come to the church house. This is where they're going to get set free. This is where they can be healed. This is where they can be restored. This is where the sinner becomes a saint in an instant. Even though they ain't going to have all their stuff together, even though they're going, I don't know where I feel this, but I feel this. Even though somebody ain't going to have all their stuff together when they come to Christ. That's why Jesus says you must be born again. When you get born, when a baby is born, it don't come out running, talking and walking and feeding itself. No, it has to be nurtured for a season. So, so, so when Jesus makes that comparison in that statement, he is telling us that people that are coming to him and coming to him, especially for the first time, they are going to make mistakes. They're going to need people and believers to come alongside them and lock shields with them and help them and nurture them. And we've got to be the people that do that. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Come on, the blood. Touch your neighbor, tell them the blood. The blood has made me clean. 
Hallelujah. I got to hurry. I'm done. Worship team, y'all come on. I just want to, I do want to, uh, I think I was going to hold this off, but I think we got five minutes. Y'all got five minutes? Y'all got five minutes? Come on. Worship team, y'all just get ready. I don't know what we need to play, but we're going to praise God here in just a minute. We're going to praise and we're going we're gonna to thank God here in just a minute. We're going to handle some business with the Lord here soon too, but I want to give you this. Philippians 4 and 4 through 7. The last key I want to give you this morning is this. Thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and praise. Philippians 4 and 4 through 7 says this. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. Psalm 104 says this, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and be thankful to him and bless his name. I want to start with Psalm 100, which, by the way, is written by Moses. Moses is a man who knew how to operate and function within the presence of God. Literally, God passed by him in all of his glory. The Bible says that Moses was a man that spoke to him face to face, not meaning that he saw his face, because if anybody saw the face of God, they would be dead, but that he spoke to him as we speak to one another. Moses knew how to function and operate in the presence of God, and he gives us this gem in Psalm 100. He says, enter into his gates. Gates are what is on the edge of property lines. So he is saying, if you want to get on the premises of where God's presence is, you're going to have to operate with thanksgiving to even get onto the premises. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Let me say it like this. Quit flying up in the face of God with your big, long laundry list of everything that you need God to get done for you. You need to step up into the presence of God and step up to his gates, knocking on it with a bunch of thanksgiving. God, I thank you for who you have made me. God, I thank you for, for the ability to free me from addiction. God, I thank you that you're, you have made my marriage whole. I thank you that you put it back together. God, I thank you that you set me free from addiction. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. God, I thank you for my house. Come on, somebody. I thank you for my car. I thank you for my health. Lord, I thank you that you've given me the ability to speak and talk and hear and do all these things that I am able to do because you are blessed to do each and everything that you do. And God gives you the ability to do it. So when you are trying to get onto the gates of his property and onto the premises of where his presence is, you have to use the password of thanksgiving to even get on there. Now watch this. Then he says, enter into his courts with praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. What is a court? A court is that inner room. Come on, somebody. If you are needing to get into his presence and into the inner court where you need an audience with the king. Come on, somebody. How many of you need an audience with the king? Come on, how many of you believe in God for something? Can I just tell you, this right here will shift your prayers. This will shift your prayer life. Because if you begin to get your prayers answered, how many of you know you'll pray a lot more? Uh, the worship team, just keep it real low. Keep it real low right now. You understand, and, and I know this, if you was to get your prayers answered, you'd pray a lot more. So many of us are frustrated with our prayer life because we don't feel like we're seeing the things that we're believing God for. 
But maybe you're not seeing the things that you're believing God for because you're coming into his presence the wrong way and you're not even getting an audience with the king. Y'all ever watch like an old movie, like a monarchy movie? I'm weird like that. I watch like old school stuff and History Channel. Have y'all ever seen like an old movie where they're presenting somebody before the king or they're walking into the king's inner courts and, and you know, they, they come in. They don't just flop in his face. They bow. They praise him for his victories that he's won. They give him thanks for even the ability to stand in his presence. They're thankful. And then Paul goes on to write us in the New Testament to add on to what Moses says. He said, be anxious for nothing, but instead with prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication, pray and then pray some more. Supplication means pray, but it means pray with posture. This is why we bow. This is why we kneel at an altar. This is why we sometimes lay prostrate on the ground. Because you can't just come to the king in your way. You must come to the king with thanksgiving and praise. And when you do, y'all remember me preaching this a couple of weeks ago. He says, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. Knock, seek, ask. Ask meaning pray. Seek meaning go. He loves people that will search him out. The keys to the kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's not for the casual Christian. God loves a seeker. God loves people who will shut the door behind them and read the Bible. God loves the person who will turn on the worship music at five in the morning before they start their day at work and worship him and pray before they ever start their day. God loves those type of people. Those type of people get set up for favor. Those type of people get set up to actually have a revelation of who he actually is. Paul says, be anxious for nothing but with prayer and supplication. Make your request known to God and then watch this with thanksgiving. He says, pray, then pray some more. Pray with posture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. And then sprinkle thanksgiving on it again. (laughs) Start with thanksgiving. End with thanksgiving. And it is a recipe for God to answer your prayers. Let me put it in the context of our series. It is a key that will unlock you getting your prayers answered. Bow your heads with me real quick this morning, please.